0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: That's for my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more.
2: You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network here in an icy Tuesday morning in the Twin Cities. My name's Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, as usual. A guest today who joins a place of comfort, hopefully a place of catharsis and maybe some some processing, it's Aaron Freeman down in Atlanta of Locked On Falcons. Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing about as well as you can expect me to do. So if your listeners are like, wow, this guy sounds pathetic, uh, just understand I have experienced the worst loss in my long two-plus decade long history of of Falcons fandom.
2: You know, I'm not here to rub any sort of salt in the wound whatsoever because Vikings fans have obviously experienced their fair share as well. I'd say that I am primarily an empathetic figure in this conversation. But I do want to point out how long losses like this can stay with a fan or a fan base. For example, there are a certain sect of Minnesota Vikings fans who are rejoicing in this Falcons loss as revenge from the 1998-99 NFC championship game. That's how long the bitterness lasted on this end. So I can only imagine what you're going through now, and the rest of the Falcons fans after experiencing what you did in the Super Bowl. That's one of those once in a generation defeats, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the other day I was actually reminded of the Vikings not to take shot, pot shots at, the, at their team, but I, I do know I'm, I'm well versed in sort of the the misery that has been sort of that sort of bridges brings Vikings fans together, and you know. You hear things about, like, the Browns and whatnot and then other sports like the, the Cavaliers and whatnot. And, you know, I thought this was going to be the year where the Falcons, like the Cavs, could sort of shake it. Um, and they didn't. And, I, I you know, I, I know there are Falcon fans that still uh, are upset over that Super Bowl year uh, that you're referring to where Eugene Robinson had his um, antics the night before the Super Bowl. And, they'll, you know, you you mentioned the two words, Eugene and Robinson, and they'll go off uh, about there, and it's like almost 20 years later. And I think given this game, um, you will have a similar sort of outcome with the words Kyle and Shanahan, but because of the magnitude of the moment, because of how close it was and how it sort of slipped through their grasp, it's going to linger so much more longer and so much be much more painful than the Eugene Robinson thing ever uh, possibly could be.
2: Well, and that, that Super Bowl against Denver wasn't particularly close, whereas you felt like you had this one. Through three quarters, you felt like it was a blowout. And then just to have about 20 consecutive plays just go the right way for the Patriots and the wrong way for Atlanta. And there, there's obviously the big second guess with Kyle Shanahan and the play calling. Is there really another scapegoat in this game for Falcon fans to get down on? It seems to me like... Aside from the play calling, there's really no one figure who stands out that you can blame. It's mainly a coaching thing.
1: Yeah, it's certain. I was talking with
2: a friend of mine the other day who's a prominent Falcon
1: blogger, and he basically said that the narrative that's coming out of this game that's cementing itself is it's really all about Kyle Shanahan. I personally sort of can forgive Kyle Shanahan for... You know, passing the ball in basically two instances as opposed to running the ball. I certainly understand um, the 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 argument and the compelling reasons why running the ball was the smarter choice and, and the better choice. And probably, had he made a different decision, the Falcons would have won the game. Um, I, I completely agree with that. And if if you're not going to just simply put all the blame on Kyle Shanahan, then you would have to sort of spread it equally around to sort of the defense making the collapses that it did at the end of the game. Um, the offensive line really not holding up. I think if, if there's any sort of issue um, other than Kyle Shanahan, it's, at least from my perspective, it's it's the, the poor pass protection that the Falcons experience. A lot of that had to do with the injuries to Alex Mack going into the game. Um, I think Ryan Schrader suffered a, a, an, an ankle injury, um, early in the game and, and exited before it was over. Um, Jake Matthews dealt with an ankle injury through the second half of the season and really struggled. And, and all three of those guys who would certainly be considered the, the three best blockers on the Falcons offensive line, um, really sort of had their struggles late in the game that sort of, um, helped facilitate the Patriots. Um, defense putting the clamps on the the Falcons offense and it's hard to sort of blame those guys given their injury issues um, to the degree of Kyle Shanahan who was you know perfectly healthy and, and presumably perfectly sane to make the right play calls in that instance so I think it's it's fair for people to sort of have the um Play the blame play the blame game with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I've tried to push back against that, but uh, um, I, it's not being successful. And at this point, it's just going to be the narrative that um, is used locally and certainly nationally with looking at this game and, and why the Falcons came up
2: short. Now, I wasn't aware of this until last night, but I guess there's a there's a freeze frame or a screenshot going around the web that tries to uh, you know to argue that James White had his knee down just prior to crossing the goal line on the game-winning touchdown. Have you seen this, this slow-mo video, and uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I've seen the free frame. I, I think it's – I don't – when I saw the replay that during the game and, and unfortunately many times afterwards when rewatching the game, it seemed to me that there was no sort of – strong evidence to suggest that his knee was down. And even at this point, like I'm, I think sort of the Patriots were gonna win the game. There was pretty much nothing stopping him. The defense had run out of gas at that point. And even if it took him another play, like I, it was inevitable. So I don't feel like the win or whatever was stolen from us um, in terms of the rest, Mr. Call. I, I've seen the freeze frame as well. I, I don't put too much stock in it,
2: basically. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I saw the freeze frame because – Watching just the slow mo replay during the broadcast, I thought it was fairly clear that it was a touchdown. And then I kind of second guessed and said, oh, I don't know. But when you think about it, Patriots probably sneak it in on third and inches, or they probably go for it on fourth and inches. And if they don't get that, then the Falcons are inside their own one yard line. So it's not as if it would have given it to Atlanta from New England. It probably would have just delayed the inevitable. We've got Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons on Twitter at Falc fans. Again, not here to, to rub any salt in wounds, just curious. Prior to this game, and obviously this is the worst loss in Falcons history, I'm going to make that assumption, what was the previous fly in the ointment? What was the ugliest loss that this franchise had suffered prior to the Super Bowl?
1: Um, I would I'd probably say at least the one that seemed to in the people's Crawl the most was the 2012 NFC Championship game where the Falcons lost the 49ers, mm-hmm. and and sort of famously or infamously, depending on your perspective, it, you know it was often termed that they were 10 yards away because they got down to the 10 yard line. Um, Matt Ryan threw that pass to Roddy White. Uh, Navarro Bowman uh, broke it up, and some people, you know, certainly Falcons fans would argue that he uh, interfered with Roddy White on that play. And it wound up the Falcons lost that game. They were up early. I think it was 17 points after the first quarter and sort of blew that lead. I think, um, you know, from a lot of Falcons fan perspectives, uh, it that was a game that sort of was won and lost in a similar fashion to the Super Bowl. I think in that instance, I think it was very clear over the course of that entire season and, and certainly in the, in the second half of that game that the 49ers were a much better team than the Falcons were. That team was a little bit more flawed. I don't feel like this Super Bowl was going to go down as the Patriots were so much that was a were the better team just because of how well the Falcons played early in the game and sort of proved to a lot of people out there that uh, they were for real. Going up twenty-eight to three, but obviously we, we saw how that wound up with the team. So um, yeah, I, I would I would say that twenty twelve NFC Championship game was probably the the biggest loss in, in team
2: history. Yeah, that's just got to be tough psychologically to now go through two games in the last five years where you've got a huge lead and you lose it. You really can't prove yourself until you're in another big game of that magnitude and, and say, yes, we can hang on to a lead. We can do this. Even in the regular season, it doesn't really matter. You kind of need to get back to that point just to undo what's been done. And it's so hard to get to that point, which is, I think, why it's so agonizing. Vikings fans are still buzzing about 98. They're still buzzing about 2009 when they lost to the Saints. And and they can't really undo that because they they haven't been in that spot since. It's really tough to lose a game of that magnitude what have the quotes been coming out of the the team facility the past couple of days? I mean, obviously you've got Shanahan leaving to San Francisco, which is a little bit awkward. Has he spoken to the media since Sunday?
1: I, I live in North Carolina, so I haven't been able to, to hit up the press conferences, so I can't give you a direct quote. It's just more what I've been reading from other people. But it sounded like initially after the game he sort of um, – didn't quite own up to his mistakes, but then after a day or so later, probably after thinking about it that entire night and not sleeping about it, he, he seemed like he was a little bit more willing to concede that he uh, uh, made the mistake that sort of cost the team the game.
2: That's got to be a, a brutal, brutal realization. But he gets a fresh slate in San Francisco, and now Atlanta is faced with the prospect of replacing Kyle Shanahan, and for all his warts that he showed in the Super Bowl, I think he was also a guy that got them to that point, and he led Matt Ryan to an MVP-caliber season. Now he needs to be replaced after he developed a great rapport with that offense. What's the next step with the OC?
1: Yeah, it sounds like um, the Falcons insisting on whoever takes over the job, whether that's an internal hire or an external hire, is going to basically run a very similar if not the same system which is going to be a west coast based offense and a running game that features a lot of zone blocking that was Shanahan's offense that was the offense that Seattle ran while Dan Quinn um, was the defensive coordinator there it it certainly given his um, success here in Atlanta and there in Seattle it certainly makes perfect sense uh, why he would want to keep that offensive system since that's been where he's experienced most of his success team-wise. It sounds like the Falcons are very interested in in Chip Kelly based off of a lot of reports, but his hire, as uh, Ian Rappaport reported the other day, is sort of contingent on him being able to run Shanahan's scheme as opposed to um, installing his own scheme. I don't think the Falcons want to start over. That's why there's probably a, a decent chance that the Falcons may try to poach somebody from denver's coaching staff the gary Kubiak's coaching staff um who shanahan worked with in houston and, and runs a similar offensive scheme at least in principle that it might be a, a slightly different flavor uh, of that offensive system or they might wind up promoting someone from within um it looks like shanahan will be able to poach a couple of the offensive assistants most of them um, uh, when when the falcon when dan Quinn took over in 2015 Most of the offensive assistants were guys that Shanahan had worked with previously in Cleveland and Washington, Um, and it seems like some of those guys will be going with him to San Francisco. And if anybody, if any one of them is left over, they would be a natural choice to take over the offensive coordinator. And and it remains to be seen which guy that will be. Um, There's also been a lot of talk that Raheem Morris, the former Buccaneers uh, head coach, who was uh, went from basically an assistant head coach that worked with the defense in 2015 to the wide receivers coach in 2016 as a legitimate shot at um, taking over those duties as offensive coordinator. I question that a little bit just because of his lack of experience in terms of coaching offense, but there's no denying that um, he did an excellent job coaching the wide receivers this year. So I, I can't necessarily say at this point in time it's the worst idea but uh it certainly would be an out of the box hire and it'll certainly at least create some buzz and interest in, in terms of what's gonna come next for the Falcons
2: offense. Your team, the Falcons, has now joined four other franchises, the Rams, the Panthers, the Eagles, and the Seahawks, in that you've had to watch Brady hoist a trophy. What is your opinion of the Patriots, the dynasty, the relationship between Belichick and Brady? the scandals with Deflategate and Spy Gate and whatnot. How do you view the Patriots at this point?
1: Well, unlike most of America outside of the uh, region of New England, I, I don't have a negative opinion of the Patriots. I actually have a, a pretty positive opinion of the Patriots. Um, watching them, you know, after the Falcons went to the Super Bowl in 1998 and seeing them struggle um, in the subsequent years, um, really before, you know, Vic uh, came on and sort of, Help bring the team around, at least bring it back to a modicum of respectability. One of the, I remember one of the things that I looked at during those those down seasons was seeing the rise of the Patriots and sort of looking at them as um, uh, 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 the the. testament to building teams the right way and building success the right way so when the falcons hired thomas dimitrov um over from new england back in 2008 it was like okay finally we're going to get some of that patriots uh mystique if you want to call it that uh, down here in atlanta and it seemed to be going pretty well early on then there was a little bit of a lull before dan quinn came to town i i think i think tom brady sort of cemented his legacy um in terms of being if he was already in the conversation for the greatest quarterback of all time, um, I think he's probably cemented his legacy somewhat um, as being the front runner for that distinction at this point in his career. I respect Tom Brady a lot. I think he's a great player. I think, um, you know, I've been, certainly enjoyed watching him play football over the years. I think Belichick's, you know, success speaks for itself. He's certainly in the conversation, if not at the front of the conversation, as the greatest uh, football coach of all time given what he's done over the years. It, it's sort of funny to me how he never wins coach of the year, even though every year it's, it's probably clear that uh, he, he did the best coaching job in the NFL. Um, so I, I don't look at the, the Patriots with sort of the same disdain that most people do, the the scandals, the cheating things. You know, I, I have a much lower opinion of, of Roger Goodell and, and and some of those things than I do of the Patriots. But um you know, I know that's not the, the prevailing opinion that you find across most of America, but uh, I, I guess I'm the exception
2: to that. I'm totally with you, though, Aaron, and I see that a lot, too, in people who really know football and, and respect the game. that when, when you see continuity at that level, when you can run a system for 15 years that successfully, that's really admirable. That's why I respect the San Antonio Spurs. That's why I didn't necessarily respect LeBron for a long time because I wanted that continuity from him. I wanted him to cement his legacy in one place. I really am on board with what the Patriots are doing. Everything I've read is just so fascinating how it's run so drastically differently in New England than it is in the other 31 franchises. They've got coaches coming in at 5 a.m. just trying to get to Belichick's level and trying to get to Brady's level. And the amount of one-on-one coaching Belichick does with every position group, he's not as much of a delegator. He's pretty hands-on because he knows every single position which is, is somewhat rare. Like here in Minnesota, it's a defensive-minded coach. It's Mike Zimmer. He works mostly with the defense. And I would imagine that it's similar with Dan Quinn, working a lot with the defense and then letting his coordinators handle other aspects. But Belichick is involved in everything. And I think that's certainly an admirable quality. And I hold no grudges against New England. I think it'd be frustrating to cover the team because they're so tight-lipped. But from watching him play football i mean it's it's breathtaking they're fin- fantastic to watch
0: the list
2: at Falcon fans on twitter his name's aaron freeman you know aaron in minnesota with the exception of the super bowl result we are trying to emulate what the falcons did this year going from 5 and 0 down to 8 and 8 the year prior then bouncing back to win the nfc vikings fans are certainly aspiring to that hoping to play in their home stadium next year for the super bowl and then isn't it atlanta the year after that
1: Yeah, I think you might be right. I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, but yeah, it's right around the corner, definitely.
2: I'll let you know how it goes here in Minnesota a year from now. I think fans will be pleasantly surprised to find out they have to scrape their windshields in the morning if they're coming from down south, but hey, that's Minnesota. They'll have to deal with it. Anything to promote coming up on the podcast?
1: We've got – we're doing our All-22 review for tomorrow's show uh, on Wednesday – or on on Thursday, I'm sorry – And um, you know that's probably going to be the last time we (laughs) speak directly about the Super Bowl. We're ready to get into some off-season talk and sort of move past this um, and hopefully begin the healing process.
2: Best of luck in that regard. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you, Sam. Hard not to hurt for that poor guy, Aaron Freeman. Good enough to come out of his deep distress and talk to us on Lockdown Vikings. We'll have Sage Rosenfels tomorrow clean up some Super Bowl items, and keep moving forward in this long grind of an offseason. Quick reminder, you can advertise on the show. Just email LockedOnVikings at gmail.com. LockedOnVikings at gmail.com will get you some great value. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody.
0: list.
2: Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Lockdown NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Lockdown Wolves daily Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Lockdown Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.